You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This episode is brought to you by Inspirio Enterprises. Inspirio helps schools increase enrollments by innovative and cutting-edge admissions and marketing tactics. If you're interested in learning more, go to inspirio.com forward slash edup to see special offers exclusively for EdUp Experience listeners. On this episode, please welcome our guest, John Asento, Managing Partner at WorldBridge Partners. John has more than 20 years experience in both the corporate and higher education space, and he specializes in identifying top leadership talent for all levels of education. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is Elvin Freitas. This is Joseph Lucio. This is Elizabeth Leiba. And on the line, we have John Asunto. John, how are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Oh, fantastic. Glad to hear it. So, John, uh, first and foremost, hope you, your loved ones, everybody's okay during this crazy time. Uh, where are you located right now, John? Uh, I am in uh, Marlboro, Connecticut. Oh, okay, fantastic, fantastic. So, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Now, uh, folks will know by the intro that you're the managing partner at uh, Woodbridge Partners. Um, so, can you kind of tell us a little bit about y- your role there, about Woodbridge Partners, um, and uh, what is the specialty? Yeah, w- Woodbridge is in a uh, an executive search consulting firm, and um, all of the partners are experts in specific areas or specific vertical markets uh, that they serve in the way of uh, providing executive search consulting services for uh, a variety of clients. My, in particular, uh, area of expertise is in uh, the education sector. Okay, gotcha. So you're basically um, K-12, higher education, or just K-12 all the way up? All across the board. Everything in the EDU sector. So K-12, higher education, uh, corporate education, ed tech. Um, there's there's really no um, area within um, the EDU sector, for lack of a better term, that we haven't um, haven't worked in for um, for uh, well for at least the time that I've been here. Gotcha. Hey, okay. jo- hey, John. This is this is Joe. How you doing? Good, Joe. Good. Uh, it's a, it's great to talk to you again, and uh, we've known each other for quite some time. And uh, you know, I know you as uh, just a, a consummate professional and in the industry and you know of course the is uh the edip experience here focusing on higher education you know it's it's funny and uh, you know, we uh we get to joke that the circumstances of how we book our guests on this show and and the actual conversations now that are happening are are different because we've booked under different circumstances uh some you know with COVID happening now but i think the big interest for us is you know unemployment is is skyrocketing um I don't know. I mean, you would know better than we do what that looks like in the higher education sector uh, specifically. You know, are are you seeing a lot of people come out of work? Um, Are you being contacted like crazy to find people to fill key positions as people move to online learning? Can you give us just a sort of an overall assessment of what jobs look like in higher education right now and and what, you know, what the response has been to to what's happening uh, with with COVID-19 and such? Uh, I'd say 90% of the, the higher education marketplace is in a, um, um, uh, a, a, a kind of a, um, 
a panic mode, for lack of a better term. Um, so, so many um, higher education um, institutions um, have not been prepared uh, for something like this to, to come forward. And, and when I say prepared, it's predominantly in the lack of online capabilities. Um, that's been the um, that's been the largest challenge. So it's 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 kind of been a um, uh, an all hands on deck to put together some type of band aid fix, if you will, um, with uh, certain colleges and universities that have had had zero presence in online uh, or limited learning management system or LMSs. Um, other institutions that have had um, what we refer to as blended learning um, um, directives. Um, especially full blended learning directives, they have um, the ability to just go ahead and turn the switch on and go directly to 100% online, um, but that's the ex exception to the rule. Um, so what we've seen is um, a, a large Band-Aid fix right now, and the next step uh, in preparation is predominantly um, uh, a waiting game. Uh, a lot of institutions are waiting to go ahead and see if indeed they can reopen in the fall or if they're projected to reopen in the fall with um, traditional instructor-led classes. Um, and therefore, that will likely have them make a decision whether or not they're going to go ahead and um, um, put together a backup system, if you will, should there be a, a second round of an outbreak maybe in the fall or, you know, as we head towards the, the, the cold weather, uh, the cold weather again, will they have to, will they have to go towards a backup? So it's, um, it's a strange environment. Um, I, I, hiring has, has um, not completely come to a freeze. Um, we have seen a dramatic downturn in that area. Um, probably 75% of the openings that we have been working on are on hold at this point. Um, as institutions scramble to try to figure out what their next move is going to be. So it's a, um, I call it the airport mode. It's kind of like being, you know, hurry up and wait. They're, they're all, they're all a little, little caution, uh, moving, moving on caution right now and trying to figure out how they can um, keep the, keep the doors open. Do you think that, uh, do you think that institutions right now, um, do you think, well, because I know that there's a lot of layoffs happening, so that makes sense to some degree that they're they're trying to save on some some of the fixed expense and alleviate some of the financial burden that they have on their on their uh, P and Ls. Um, but you know, there may be sort of a refashioning of of positions that uh, when you say they're on hold, are they on hold because institutions are looking to hire sort of the same old uh, you know the same old job description that they originally put in for? Or do you see them on hold because they don't even know what they're going to need and need to sort of entrench to figure out what the future looks like? Have you have any anecdotal even uh, evidence of 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 that at all? Well, the the the, um, the immediate hold is cash flow. Um, institutions, uh, a majority of them, have started to put. Um, as you know, institutions um, make money off of housing. Uh, they make money off of, of other areas um, within their um, um, within their structure, and so many of them have um, been providing refunds um, back to students when it comes to um, uh, when, it, when it comes to this last semester, especially as it as it pertains to housing. So, from a, a bottom line standpoint, a lot of them um, operate. Kind of like small businesses, you know, they have enough cash on hand to go ahead and and stay afloat for maybe 90 days. And you know, when this hit, um, it 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 impacted e easily 
75% of the, inst the higher education institutions that happen to be out there because um, so many of them, they just did not have the ways and means uh, financially to go ahead and, and take the huge hit um, that was going to uh, come forward immediately and then to go ahead and, and reinvest or plan. There's just too much unknown going on right now. I know there's some relief coming forward from the uh, some of the the, the federal uh, you know the federal relief for institutions that have have Title IV, but um, we've already seen a couple institutions close and they are, they're not going to reopen. Um, you know, they some of um, before this hit, higher education was going um, um, it, it, shr shrinking. You know, there's. I, I don't have to tell anybody that's been in the in the industry for for um, a certain period of time from an admission standpoint that there are less um, there's less of a, 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 a less or decreasing population uh, graduating high school year after year after year and th this trend I believe is going to continue for at least the next five years um, there are lesser uh, students coming out of high school so you know the fight right. for stu students has just been a it, it's been a it's been a battleground on the undergraduate the traditional undergraduate side for for quite a few years now so th you know th this this just has kind of sped up the process with some of those institutions that were on their dying days anyway um, it's a uh, yeah, it's cer it's certainly been a uh, been a bizarre time. Thanks for that, John. John, I have a really, um, I guess, question in terms of you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on, developments in higher education, hiring practices. You work on the executive search side of it. So my question for you was. I work in the faculty side and um, administration as far as how their leadership, um, how they really, I guess, are making the case as far as online, what we need to do for the future, how we're going to really hunker down and get through all this. That's so important to make sure that all of their employees are on the same page. What would you say from your perspective? are the key characteristics. What does someone need to do in order to be an effective leader during such a volatile time? Oof. You know, that's a, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a really open-ended question and I'm not sure where I want to go with this one. Uh, I'll give you my, I'll give you my personal and professional opinion. I'll mix them. Yeah. Yeah, please do. I'd like to see somebody grab the bull by the horns and go ahead and do some true leadership and um, make make it make a decision and then follow and then follow through. Um, that hmm. that I think would would be the um, would be the best um, best um, course of action. And I would I would highly recommend if uh, academic institution if they have the ways and means um, to implement online and to have a full-blown uh, blended system in place to move forward as expediently as possible to do that. Um, the highest level recommendation I would do is to try to find a um, an online czar, if you will. Um, an <laughs> yeah, somebody that has been um, a president of an online um, institution, somebody that has been a senior operations person at maybe an OPM, um, the, somebody that, you know, brings the ability to um, understand technology uh, from a delivery standpoint and be able to build a staff that would include um, a uh, curriculum development team, 
um, a chief academic officer, if you will, that would um, be able to uh, go through the politics and the um, and the um, pushback that they may be receiving from uh, uh, faculty and faculty unions. Mm -hmm. um, the unions in particular, I, I live in the state of Connecticut. Um, I've been screaming about this for years, uh, and I'm a lifelong resident here. Um, there's There's been a um, an online undergraduate college that's operated here since the 1990s. It's called <laughs> Charter Road College. But there is no undergraduate online presence for the entire Connecticut State University system, including the University of Connecticut, which is a top 70 school, I think now. I mean, it's and it and it's boggles my mind why there there isn't one. But what it comes down to is it's politics. There's the, a very heavy union that dominates the decision-making process, and the union uh, has a tenure-track system. There's a a um, a, a, a system of of having um, faculty continue to um, have um, years of service uh, by providing um, instructor-led um, education, and there is 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 a, a real understanding that they do not want to go online, as the thought process is the uh, the days of going to college like many of us used to go to college and walking across a classroom or walking across a campus to sit in a lecture hall and listen to listen to an instructor provide to provide delivery that is the way that it's going to be here and they do not want to make any of those changes now it wow. becomes real political becomes real political because sure when you go online as a lot of institutions have seen the full-time staff tends to shrink. It becomes more of an adjunct staff. And when you go when you go adjunct, that's salaries that are gone, that's benefits that are gone, um, and that becomes a you know that obviously becomes a, a, a problem all on itself. I know here in the state of Connecticut, there's a, a very heavily funded pension system that's also attributed to the to the to the unionized faculty. So. They're protecting their own interests. They're protecting their jobs. They're protecting their, you know, their own their own interests. Now, of course, they'll say they'll they'll make every argument in the world about socialization and you know how important that might be, you know, to a student's full, um, you know, full educational experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm sorry, I've been in the education industry for, for over 30 years, and I don't remember hearing it from any client and any search that I've ever done or any any of my own experiences, whether or not they checked it, you know, they were going to do a background check or checking a transcript or whatnot, whether anybody ever gave one rat's behind, if the degree, <laughs> if the degree came from, nice. <laughs> right, if the degree came from online or if the degree came from, from, um, from a, you know, from a traditional campus setting, you earn the right. degree, you earn the degree. It went, through, you know, the, it. the institution, you know, went through an accrediting body, you know, went through channels to go ahead and be able to, to provide that degree accordingly. So it, it, it doesn't make one bit of, one bit of difference. Employers don't care, um, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day. Um, I, 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 I think very few, few, few organizations, individuals, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think anybody really cares ultimately at the end of the day how, how you ended up getting the degree. The fact is that you got the degree. That's that's mm -hmm. that's the part that matters the most. So we have a lack of, to answer your question, 
a real lack of leadership and a real lack of somebody, uh, a lot of these college presidents grabbing the bull by the horns, being leaders. I use Paul LeBlanc as an example of, of, of somebody like this all the time for Southern New Hampshire <laughs> University. There Paul LeBlanc go. went to the Board of Regents over Southern New Hampshire you know, almost 15 years ago and literally spelled it out for them. This will be a Who Moved My Cheese episode. If you've ever read that book, Who Moved My Cheese, mm-hmm. you have to go. Oh, through. yeah. You have to. Right, you have to change your 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 thought pattern or um, in your in your your business, or you will die continuing mm-hmm. to do the same thing over and over again. It, it, you you will die. And and Paul just saw the future. You know, he had a small liberal arts private private college in New Hampshire, and you know they weren't you know what we refer to in New England as a potted ivy by any means. You know, they weren't they, they weren't. Um, you know, Mount Holyoke or Amherst or, 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 you know, some of these other institutions that, you know, again, have, have these very strong endowments. And ultimately, he, he spelled it out for them at, at, with the Board of Regents that, you know, we, we have an opportunity here to go online and to do something really special and, 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 and be the first to do this. And we'll be able to grow from it. And with that, if we're one of the first to do this, um, we'll also grow our our, um, our, our ground campus as well, which, mm. you, you know, the, the ground campus has grown tremendously through this, through the success of the, uh, of the online world. Yeah. Look at them now, right? <laughs> it, well, exactly. And, 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 you know, growing a, a, an online school to a hundred thousand students like a, a Southern New Hampshire or some of the ones like an Arizona state, for example, that, you know, have, has a very strong presence and, you know, the, some of the proprietaries like a university of Phoenix, for example, growing out to something that large, the numbers just aren't there. It's just, it's right. just not there to happen. However, institutions now economically can get up and running online. They can have that online czar. They can have a small department dedicated to working with, with, Faculty, department chairs, et cetera, et cetera, and and build their online build their online programs. Um, not so much for growth and expansion per se, but to go ahead and and have a blended learning solution. I mean, the last time I checked my watch, we're in the 21st century. Technology <laughs> is moving so rapidly that you know, even a sh- just a short period of say five years ago, um, the argument for having a robust online option um, for your students is key to your, your success, you know, as, as we move forward in, in, in this century. It's just something that I, I find it in my, my position, I find it bizarre that more institutions haven't, haven't embraced it or haven't ha- invested so they'd have a strong backup plan in an event like this pandemic that we're, we're, we're enduring right now. It's, it's, it's right. really quite, it's really quite strange. Absolutely. Hey, I, I like to, I'd like to follow up, uh, if you don't mind. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at your uh, website, and I'm reading the mission. And it's very interesting you use this word. So you know, the mission of the World Bridge Partners Education Practice is to help our clients win the war for talent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so not my, please. Not my quote, by what, the way. In one of the okay, I was going to say, what, <laughs> what's the war all about? What, what's going on? What's, what has been going on in terms of the war for talent? What's going on now? And what's going to happen in the future? What's this war going to look like? Well, the, you know, executive search is basically simple economics. It's supply and demand. Um, when 
there, you know, we, you know, let's just say a, a month ago the country didn't shut down and things were still booming the way that it was. And I'll, I'm not going to refer to my vertical market, the education world per se. Um, I'll, I'll refer to some of the other markets that my 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 colleagues have, have worked in. When we have unemployment at what was it, two and a half percent or three percent, you know, as low as it was, um, there are uh, the, the best and most talented individuals are gainfully employed and um, uh, many of them are relatively happy in their in their in their present positions um, you know the the talent war per se is to go ahead uh, from our perspective is to find uh, identify and probe with professionals to see if they may be open to exploring an opportunity that's potentially much stronger than what they're doing now. Now, if you find an individual that's gainfully employed now that is open to exploring an opportunity, um, that individual is probably somebody that's been doing their job on a, on a daily basis. Um, they're not on the job boards all day long. That email feed that they get from Indeed or from LinkedIn or from wherever it is, they just ignore it on a daily basis. They're not they're not investing time to review job descriptions and you know from XYZ company, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what we do is we reach out to those individuals and really try to find out if there's something going on in their careers right now that may leave them a little less than satisfied. Really, just a window that may have them. Um, open to hearing about something that really could be um, fantastic for them to move ahead in their own careers. Um, if indeed they, um, they are open to that discussion, well, that's when we, we as, a, as a search consulting firm learn more about their background, ask them what are some of the key components um, in their decision making on why they would want to leave their present company, what's leaving them less than satisfied, ultimately what's type of opportunity would they be willing to go ahead and make a move for? Now, if everything lines up and what they happen to be looking for happens to be a match to a specific role that we're, we've been retained to search, conduct a search for, well then, now Pandora's box is open and we'll certainly go ahead and, and, and inform that individual that we believe we have something that is an exact match for them, provide them with a job description, provide them with information about the organization, kind of give them the good, the bad, and the ugly, as we like to call it. And then that way, um, to simplify things, that candidate um, on a scale of 1 to 10 is probably an 8, 9, or 10. So if you're going to go ahead and you're, you're, you're a hiring manager and you want to, want to bring on board only 8, 9s, and 10s for your, you know, for your, for your opening, um, that's where the war comes into play because we're going to go out and find the 8, 9s, and 10s. The five sixes and sevens of the world are pretty easy to find. Uh, they, you know, they they answer. They're the ones that are always on the job boards. They're the ones that have a, a lot of history in their in their in their um, in their employment, where they would have one year stint in 2019 to 2020. They worked for 1.5 years from 2019 to 2017, in the middle of 2017. The term is often called job hoppers, um, where basically somebody's had five jobs in seven years. They just can't seem to sit still. Um, the real A players, sure, they might have had one or two moves, but for the most part, there's been some stability at least at some points in their careers, and those are the individuals that you know we, we like to put in front of our client. 
You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hey guys, this is Liz, and I just want to remind you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. On the website, you're going to find all of our past episodes that we've done with some of the top leaders in higher education today, talking about innovations, ideas, and issues facing our industry today, finding out what may happen in the future and what higher education needs to look like moving forward. So again, check out www.edupexperience.com. Now, let's get back to the action. But John, how is all that going to change now with the market probably being so flooded with people that are going to be top-notch talent and everyone's going to be maybe vying for the same positions? How is... How are things going right. to change now in the wake of COVID? Well, and that's the great, that's a great question. So again, it comes down to supply and demand. So ultimately, you know, whatever openings are going to hap- happen to go ahead and um, ha- happen to come up, you know, if people are, listen, um, w- we talk about placing ads all the time and 90% of the time when you, when you, when you put, when you put an ad out there, um, the vast majority of individuals that um, will apply have no business applying for a particular mm-hmm. ad. So I, I personally look at over 50 resumes a day. And if we put out an ad out there, I cringe because I know I'm going to be looking at at least a half dozen third shift Taco Bell managers for a chief operations officer um, for uh, a, an ed tech company that we happen to be doing a search for. And it's like, th- th- this person has zero business applying for this job. And that's where we are. Everybody just clicks and sends, clicks and sends, clicks and sends. And they think that maybe they have some, you know, on a, uh, out of 10 bullet points, maybe they have one or two that might be a match for this particular position. And they think that they're, they're going to, they're, they're going to be highly sought after. So now what'll happen is, well, you're going to have individuals that are, are, you know, the eight, nines, and tens of the world. They're going to be, you know, some of those people are going to be unemployed. And hopefully the screeners or the, the HR uh, people that tend to go ahead and review a lot of the, these individuals, they're going to be able to recognize immediately, you know, that, hey, this person's an eight, nine, or ten, and we need to put this person in front of the hiring manager Im- immediately. Um, oddly enough, in the education sector, the education sector tends to perform stronger during um, a recessionary time, but we have, this isn't even declared really a recession yet. This is, you know, so many of these, these jobs that have been laid off, uh, you know, that have been furloughed out, you know, that it's, it's the hospitality and restaurant industry. I mean, that's been, that's been completely decimated. Um, You know, the, the education certainly, you know, taking, taking a bit of a step back, especially the for-profit or the proprietary uh, sector, um, and education companies that serve, um, you know, the EDU sector, you know, some of them have, have you know, had, had a little bit of a, a take back as well. But, you know, we're really only 30 days in. I know a lot of companies, they want to at least go 90 days before they start letting, letting people go. So depending on how it all shakes out over the next 60 days, I guess, is really going to be a big factor depending on how many, no, no disrespect for the, 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 the laid off bartenders and servers of the world but you know uh, you know a lot of the white co- the white collar people that um are are are, prof- are specific professionals 
you know, there's just so many unknown answers right now. Most of what, most of my day is really spent. I kind of feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I kind of feel almost like a carpet bagger, for lack of a better term, when I'm calling into a, 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 a potential client and, and, and asking them how can we how can we help, and it's not more along the lines of how can we help by earning your business that we can go uh, provide you with the next on, online czar. It's really more online, along the lines of how can we help you, uh, you know, with some some direction on on, on helping you make a decision on where you want to go. Some of the um, leaders that I've talked to from colleges and universities, like I said, grab the bull by the horns. That's the advice that I'm giving to the majority of them. Now's the time to make a decision. This is a, this is a career, you know, this is a career making decision, what you're doing right now. You can sit around and you can wait, or you can go ahead and you can implement whatever online initiative that you, you know, that you had. Most of these colleges and universities, they've been around long enough. They've had many conversations with OPM providers. They've had many conversations with consultants. They know the, the, the pluses and the minuses of potentially going online. I think it would be a no-brainer if any institution had the ways and means to do it, inter to do it internally, not to go fully online right now. It just, it, you know, I, I think it, for the future for colleges and universities, that's a huge selling point to go ahead and be able to provide um, that peace of mind that sh should there be any challenges for you to make it to campus, make it to campus, we provide the we provide an option to continue to go ahead and take uh, continue your co your coursework online. But like you said, it's just a matter of them pulling the trigger, right, John? It's like they have all the data, they have the information, they know what to do. It's just doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm John. Waiting. John, what a we're just John, what a waiting from them make a decision, make a decision. I'm trying to interrupt you, and I'm I'm walking to my house because in the backyard I've got a leaf blower happening right now. So it's <laughs> a, a nice, uh, you know, working from home is amazing. Uh, but so so talk to me about, you know, there's open searches right now in both for-profit and non-profit sector for a president or a chancellor. All right. So here's here are institutions that probably pre-COVID started a search for a new leader and maybe have not yet pulled the trigger because I mean, even right now, how do you even go get a new job? If, if you're trying to get a job in Connecticut and you live in California, can you even go out there and even check out where it is at this point? I mean, there's so many weird questions to ask, um, but, but institutions who are looking at a new leader or boards that are thinking about what direction to take, does the, does the profile of a university leader at the top level, president, chancellor, otherwise, has that changed immediately because of COVID-19 when primarily, you know, from articles you read in Inside Higher Ed, the number one hireable trait of a president is fundraising. Uh, that's primarily what boards and uh, uh, search consultants have looked for. Um, uh, has that immediate because of this crisis for institutions looking at top level hire? Well, to be perfectly frank with you, I'm, I'm, I, I really hope that it does. Um, and uh, although I've been doing executive search for 17 years now, and um, you know we we have done s some senior level searches, um, um, you know uh, president searches per se or C, C suite searches per se, that traditional college um, uh, institution where the fundraising, you know, just like you said, is is a is a huge factor. Um, 
those searches predominantly go out to firms that have been in existence for 50 some odd years and are led by former college presidents themselves. Um, that really is um, um, a, a, a great question because um, that, that, that that's an old boys network that's continued to go ahead and do those searches for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, um, Whit Kiefer, Isaacson Miller, Russell Reynolds, you know, the, the, those are the ones that have dominated that, that senior level world. And if you look at who staffs them, um, they're former college presidents and, pro, and provosts predominantly. So it's, 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 a sewing, it's a sewing circle where they continue to regurgitate their own, for lack of a, be, lack of a better term. We've started to see some uh, board of regents look for um, candidates that are not necessarily um, provosts looking to move up into a president's role or a president from a small school looking to join a large school, uh, things along those lines, but actually looking for business, professional, business professionals. Um, I would expect that this um, continues that trend, that the, the, the fundraising is not going to be that number one factor anymore, that they're going to look for business professionals that are going to, again, <laughs> ha, ha, have the cojones to make to make the decision <laughs> on, on, on doing things like going, going online um, to not fearing um, the fact, not, not having great fear of a faculty rebellion, um, you know, based on certain decisions that, that they may, um, you know, that, that, that they, um, that they will make for the good, you know, for the good of the institution. Um, I, I personally, I, you know, I, I consider myself politically to be an independent. I think I'm socially liberal, but I'm fiscally conservative, and that applies to higher education, higher education as well. But mm -hmm. many of the um, dominant, dominating uh, majority within traditional uh, higher education have very liberal policies um, uh, from a fiscal standpoint as well as, uh, um, as well as from a social standpoint, and they put those um, beliefs into practice where that's what is, is leading and driving um, the direction of those institutions. Now, we're talking, of course, institutions that have ridiculously huge endowments, uh, and we're also talking about state institutions where many of them are heavily funded and backed by, by, their, by their states. So, you know, it's, 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 it's nice to have those principles, it's nice to have those um, high, high level principles and, and, and morals, um, if you will, but I've always been a huge advocate of education for, um, for, for, for everyone. And when you stick to uh, those high levels and principles, <laughs> that's where the that's where it gets very contradictory to me it's incredibly contradictive because you're only going to be able to educate the elite in that in that manner you know if we're going to go down that road and you know kind of which brings up another point i just read a article in inside higher ed about certain um politicians being very upset about the for profits getting some of this um, this, this this COVID you know this COVID money, um, and you know they're they're saying that it, well during the last recession there was about thirty five thousand recruiters nationwide that were aggressively pursuing students um, 
you know, anxious for a leg up to f in, in finding scarce jobs. And, you know, sometimes recruiters were loose with the truth, if you will, and they, they want to prevent that fraud from happening again. Well, that ten, 10 years ago when, you know, what may have been going on at places like Corinthian, which, you know, the, 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 the media loves to go ahead and continue to bring up every time there's an article about a proprietary school, that's just a, a direction where I'm, I'm kind of shocked now because we're, we're talking maybe 15 to 20 percent of the proprietary institutions that used to be in existence 10 years ago that they don't exist anymore they're gone right. they're, they're 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 just completely gone so you know i i think the left won that battle on 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 really making the making an impact on on how proprietaries will will work and i would think that the vast majority of them are are that are in existence right now are led by individuals that um either we're running uh, clean shops or figured out that if we're going to continue to exist, we have to go ahead and, and have a, a full, cy full cycle type of, uh, of institution here where we're looking to enroll graduates. Uh, we're not just looking to go ahead and get the old um, butts and seats or asses in classes like they used to say in the proprietary world. <laughs> <laughs> were you listening oh, in to our admissions yeah. meeting <laughs> well, so when we were recruiters yeah. for you? <laughs> Full transparency. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm 55 years old. I, 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 my very first job, I was an admissions representative at a, um, at a, uh, a proprietary school that trained um, HVAC, electricians, plumbers. I mean, it was, it was a career-based school. But I, I was so fortunate in my very first job. I mean, this is, this is bizarre. I mean, this is like, like 1989 or something, you know, when I, when I first got out of school. Uh, you know, the, back in those days, admissions professionals literally could earn commissions. They used to call yeah. it commissions. You can earn commissions on, on enrollments. It wasn't a bonus. Yeah. It was a commissions. You know, this was before mm -hmm. Title IV reform. But I was right. so fortunate that I had a, a director of admissions back back in those days that literally would give us the statistics from the Connecticut State Department of, of Labor on what the average um, journeyman's annual income was and what the annual contractor's annual income was. And the way it was explained to me when we were uh, screening students was that, yes, we would ask students about um, their background. What are they doing now? Um, would they, uh, you know, how, how is that working for them as far as a career is concerned? What are some of the challenges that they're, what, what they're having? And then yes, um, how do they feel that um, this education and going down this career path could benefit them? Um, Oddly enough, these are some of the questions that you know some of some of the, the the lobbying groups have a problem with 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 proprietary with proprietary schools. But you know the key, I think, is how you go about it next, and 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 what's be, what is the institution ultimately doing? Because at our institution, what we ultimately did was we would inform them that our institution would provide them with the training and the minimal academic hours that were required by our state to be prepared to ultimately go ahead and sit for a state exam that can get you a journeyman's license, which you could not obtain until it was four years down the road 
um, after completion of your um, of your education. And that was something that we were very transparent about. And yes, would we help you try to find um, an entry level position so that you can build up apprenticeship hours, which you needed four years of apprenticeship hours? So yes, we would do that if you wanted to go to night school. If you wanted to go to school during the day, you can complete the program in a shorter period of time. And yes, we would assist you in finding an entry level position um, after you completed the after you completed your your school, so that you can you can do your four years of apprentice, and then the school would be available for uh, those individuals when it came time to sit for their test. Uh, we would uh, we had a, a test prep program that we would provide, and we used to call it being a member of the club. Listen, if you want to be a member of the club, if you want to be a member of a, a of a club where you actually have a, a a a trade, something that you could potentially fall back on the rest of your life, it's available for you. And, and that was the that was something that I was always really proud of, and I always thought it sold itself. And I was always really proud that our director of admissions at the time gave us those statistics about what somebody could expect to make as far as an, an average annual income after they did their after they did their four years. We were very clear with them about those entry level jobs. A lot of them were minimum wage or barely above minimum wage and we we, we, we didn't hold anything back. But my favorite part about it was here's the average. Here's what you can expect. You know there when there's money involved I think there's always uh, um, going to be some shadiness shadiness out there and uh, obviously uh, there was some of that you know 10 years ago when admissions professionals were saying a lot of stuff they shouldn't have been saying but listen I was always very proud that we you know we we were looking to enroll people that we you know we were looking to enroll graduates. We were looking to enroll people that really wanted to be there and people that were, you know, were going to be successful. And there's a full cycle in the education world. Certain institutions, you know, proprietary schools, especially the good ones, they get it. If you hire, if you hire somebody, if you if you bring somebody into your institution and they're a terrible student, they're going to bog down student services. They're going to bog down faculty. Right. They're going to bog down the class. They're going to slow everything down. That Pell Grant that they that they might be you know coughing up to the coughing up to the to the school is a monumental waste of time. There's a number of really solid proprietary institutions or schools that have had roots in proprietary. They would rather pull that student aside after two weeks and say, "Listen, we haven't drawn down on your Pell Grant yet. We're going to recommend that you know you you drop out this semester." because we've been doing this a very long time. In order for you to go ahead and catch up, it's gonna be a monumental task. And you know, you happen to have a, you, you, your reading level is at a seventh grade or at a ninth grade and, you, you're, you know, and then you've missed X number of classes. You're just, you know, it's almost gonna be impossible for you to catch up. So there's that old saying, would you rather take, you know, you got two choices. Would you rather take a bullet to the head or would you rather take, you know, six to the rest of your body and die a slow, agonizing death? The, the institutions that get it right, they'd rather go ahead and take the bullet to the head. They'd rather go ahead and cut the cord right now with that individual that they, en that they enroll that just can't, can't make it. And then maybe they can try them again in another semester down the road. It, it just, it, it's win-win-win across the, it's win-win-win across the board. So a lot of yeah. institutions have taken on that, taken on that, on that practice, as opposed to, well, let's just enroll everybody. Yeah, you know, there's, exactly. I, I've seen, I've seen the ATB stuff start, start up again with, with, with some institutions. I mean, 
I don't want to be a whistleblower and name names, you know, (laughs) proprietaries that's doing it. But, you know, when I found out that there's one in particular that, you know, is very heavy with the AT, you know, with the ATB model and they found the loophole, you know, one of, one of those, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it just, it raises my blood pressure because I see a lot of people that, you know, work for this institution. Guess where they all used to work for? Corinthian, Mm. (laughs) you know, so it's like, uh, right. So it's like, okay. So, you know, we're, 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 we're beating a dead horse on that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, John. So I want to be, you know, a thoughtful of the time here. I provided great, great value. Really appreciate it. So last two questions. Um, If you could, number one, let us know, how would you like to be remembered? And number two, what does the future of education look like to you? Well, I like to be remembered from a search consultant, kind of like a conversation that I had today with 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 a with a, um, a CEO for a company, and and this person, um, literally, you know, they they've been a, a CEO um, for for the past couple of years, and literally uh, uh, six weeks ago had. Um, stepped down from their position and was was actively looking you know for other for other opportunities and um what i you know after this person just was real class act real nice um you know real professional i've talked to them in the past and you know we were just networking a little bit and and i offered to provide um a couple of names of some competitors of mine that um i thought that, that this person should should network with along with myself and he was really thrown back by that, saying that, you know, that that was really great of you to go ahead and make make those introductions. Um, I mean, aren't you competitors? And I, my response was, well, yeah, we're competitors, but, you know, technically you're unemployed right now and you're you're certainly a, a professional and you're a, a really nice person. Um, and if I can do anything to help somebody in any way, shape or form, that's really what it's all about. You know, I think most of us grew yeah. up with our parents saying, you know, I mean, if you see somebody that needs help and you can help them, you, you do what you can to go ahead and help them. So, That's right. you know, what is it? It's the golden rule. I mean, it's just kind of, it's a real simple thing. And it, and, you know, it helps me sleep at night. Um, some, some people say, well, that's reciprocity that, you know, they're, you know, now they owe you because you did them a favor. Listen, in the back of my mind, yes, it would be wonderful if the CEO landed a position and then called me up and said, I remember you making me this, making this introduction. I need to hire three people. I want to retain your firm. Of course, that would be great, but I don't expect that. But um, I just want to be remembered as somebody that um, was there to go ahead and help and, and has a level of integrity um, that you know, that I, I do in, in my daily, in my daily work, um, continually. And I always leave that door open. You know, there's, listen, you can't get along with everybody, you know, at the end of the day, whether it's a client or a candidate or somebody that, you know, we, we might not have, uh, seen eye to eye on in whatever perspective, I always like to leave the door open. I mean, I always think that, that we can reach common ground. Um, I, I always like to go ahead and, and say, listen, if I've made any mistakes anywhere along the way, I want to go ahead and right the wrong. Um, I, I think the world would be a better place if more people were like that. I mean, I'm, I'm the first one to admit when I'm wrong on anything, ask my wife. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and I want to... You know, I want to go ahead and I want to I want to write I want to write that wrong in any way, shape, or form that I possibly you know I possibly can. 
Um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably how I'd like to be remembered is, yeah, I, I'm, I'm there to help. I'm definitely there gotcha. to help. Future, edu- future education, wow, that's a, that's a good one. Um, a lot more online. This, this, I think this is a wake-up call. This is a big wake-up call mm-hmm. uh, for K-12 as well as higher ed. I know we concentrated heavily on the, K- on the higher ed sector, but I have two daughters. They're 14 and 12, and this is a perfect mm-hmm. example of, you know, um, School board, school districts being woefully behind on the online yeah. piece. You know, my mm-hmm. my kids have been out of school for over a month now. And the first, uh, when they were initially sent home, and they went on, I think it was a Google Classroom. And no disrespect for Google Classroom, but that's not mm-hmm. online learning, as far where I stand. That's basically <laughs> just a glorified ditto copy. Um, it was, you know, I, I saw what my my kids were assigned and 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 to do, and I I basically said, yeah, when when. When, when we had a substitute teacher back in my day, they would send home ditto copies, and that was our oh, home. Wow. That was basically our homework. And th- to me, this is the modern a- modern age of a ditto copy. And you know, because there there's no interactive learning, there's no interactive classroom there. It's 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 real. It's feeble. It's it's feeble at best. So, you know, my state again, very heavily with the very heavy with the union, very heavy with uh, you know not. Not wanting online to 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 have a presence uh, a presence here uh, in the capacity that I think it should, but I think this is a huge wake up call. I, I I believe we're going to be seeing a ton more online. I've been telling my wife for years I'm going to be shocked if my kids go to college the same way that her and I did. I'll be shocked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I see yeah. them. It, it just it's just a it's not cost effective. B it's just getting better and better and better. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, ama- yeah. it's just incredible how it is. Hey, if I didn't have to get mm-hmm. up at eight o'clock in the morning, walk across a freezing cold campus to go sit in a lecture hall and listen to, you know, somebody, you know, in a, in a English 101 class um, and, and have to have to listen to a lecture three times, three times a week. And I could have listened to the lecture on my own time. I would have jumped all over. I would have jumped all over that, you know. So yeah. it, it it's just we need to con- we just need to conform to that. I mean, think about Absolutely. it. Every kid these days walks around with a smartphone. Everybody mm-hmm. walks around with a smartphone. If you had a smartphone when you were a kid, think about how much knowledge you would have been building in your brain constantly. Sure, would you mm-hmm. be playing games and would you be chatting with your friends and stuff like that? Of course you would. But you know, just Google, Wikipedia, all those things. Jeez, I remember when I was like 12 years old, and my my best friend they got a set of encyclopedias. We sat there for hours and just re- you know read through this stuff. It's kind of the same stuff. No, gotcha. Thanks so much, John. Really appreciate your time, everything that you've given us. Uh, thank you again. We really appreciate it. So there you have our conversation with John Asunto. So, this Joe, what do you think? Me? All right, I'll go first. Uh, I'll go. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'll just be really simple. I, I really appreciate his, let's call it the non-traditionalist view, mm-hmm. um, of of higher ed and and his view on hiring practices within our industry, particularly at the at the highest level. Uh, I found that to be the most refreshing part of of what he had to say. I agree. I definitely feel as though the fact that he alluded to leaders needing to have a strong understanding of online, he was speaking my language because as an online instructor for the past 10 years and and someone that's intimately involved with now 
transferring students from on ground to online. If you have leaders that are have no understanding of online, don't embrace online. We're in trouble because we don't know what the future is going to hold for the next few months. And even going into the future, COVID aside, we have to have a strong understanding of technology and how to use technology to leverage technology to increase accessibility and to lower costs. And if we don't have leaders that embrace that and understand that, then um, it's not going to be uh, a really great. It's going to be a little bit of a bumpy road for us moving forward in higher education. So I appreciated that perspective from him. Yeah, I'll be sure too. I agree. I think, you know, when he said a good old board network and he said the sewing group, I mean, I, wow, I was falling out. I was laughing so hard because I feel as though that's true. It's something we yeah. all know, but nobody really says that, you know, that's mm-hmm. the real deal. You know, they just kind of hiring the circles and these provosts and the former presidents. They say, we need more diversity, you know, but I mean, it's something we Absolutely. all know. It's, it's, I'm just glad he said that. So I, that was a huge takeaway for me. So, and I'll tell you guys what, you know what? You, you guys know how I feel. Sorry to interrupt you, Alva, but mm-hmm. if, you know to what to what John was saying. If if you are gonna operate in a, a post COVID world, and you're you're an executive level president, chancellor, or otherwise, and you don't understand enrollment and marketing right now, and yeah. I mean really yeah. understand it, mm-hmm. you're Dang. in trouble. F- fundraising. Yeah. You know, you think about fundraising. Is that mm-hmm. you know how many Americans are not giving to education? How many of them are going to be giving to healthcare for the next two years? How much yeah, harder right. fundraising is going to be? So you're right. you're you're the way you survive is through incredible enrollment and marketing knowledge. And, and until somebody tells me I'm wrong, I know I'm right. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's back right. To you have to, yeah, yeah, you have to find diversity, diversity in backgrounds, diversity in culture, diversity in experience. You know, and that's what all that's about going to add to my point Absolutely. which makes sense yeah. and he's right you know we gotta get on that circle and, and you're right too you know it's it's gonna be very interesting for future presidents now it's like they have to learn a certain amount of marketing and enrollment and student services alumni services you know faculty all that they should know all this you know and let's just focus so much on um uh, the dollars, you know, getting uh, the funds and things like that. So, and that's why having so. people from the business world, he alluded to that as well. The disruptors. We need yeah. someone that's going to yeah. come in here and not be afraid of faculty. I'm faculty, so you know, I, I can say it. They they, they kind of band <laughs> together, and then it's yeah. kind of like you know, they they don't want to break out of the idea of hey, online. That's an interesting. You don't have to trek across mm-hmm. campus and sit in my lecture hall. But if you don't have someone that's able to come in and say hey, like the Southern New Hampshire example that he gave hey this is how we're going to do things and that's it (laughs) and be brave enough to do that and that's what we need to do in higher ed just stand on principle and know what's best for students and and best for the institutions and best for the industry moving forward absolutely another fantastic episode joe liz and john thank you so much everybody so until next time Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. That's edupexperience.com. And please feel free to rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode. We really, really appreciate your support. You've been listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Leiber, and Elvin Freitas.